I'd love to see your hands if you got one of my cards. When I lied to you and said I'd be playing the stagecoach next year, get my free download years ago. And uh, not only did probably like four or 500 people hold up their hands, but at least 50 to 100 held up the card. Wow. And that's the connection that you make. Crazy. I cried like a baby. Welcome to the Gary Scott Thomas Show. Here's what we know. The podcast with unexpected conversations. Listen each week as we engage in unscripted conversations where we'll be just as surprised as you will be with where the dialogue goes. So join us each week and be privy to the captivating conversations that are sure to ensue. Here's your host, Gary Scott Thomas. Y'all, look who we got. Tyler got my mind on my money and my money on my mind rich. How are you, big fella? What an intro. Let's go. I love it. I love it. I'm so hey, good. I, don't, I don't have any gin and juice. I just have water with vitamin C in it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I'm drinking a, uh, like a, well, it's a, a homemade pumpkin spice something. Kind of like if you were to order like a pumpkin spice latte off of wish.com and it shows up and it's not quite what you thought, but. Uh, a homemade yeah. pumpkin spice. I don't think I've ever heard anything sadder than what you just said. I'm happier than I look. <laughs> you know, it's the pumpkin spice phenomenon. It never just sank in for me. But then again, I don't like pumpkin that damn much anyway. I don't think anybody does. I think people like cinnamon, right? And they confuse pumpkin for cinnamon. Nutmeg, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It all yeah. Kind of, yeah. But I well, mean, I'm, when's the last time you just chowed down on some damn pumpkin? Even pumpkin pie is overrated. Sweet potato pie is so much better than pumpkin pie. I don't know if I've ever had sweet potato pie. Wow. Well, again, you grew up in Yuba City, so that wasn't part of that wasn't part of what you do because growing up in South Alabama, sweet potato pies because they were sweet potatoes are cheap to grow, right? Yeah, got it. And 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 that's why you have. I mean, maybe you've heard of rhubarb pie, right? No, you've never heard of rhubarb pie. I mean, I've heard of it. I've never had it. I'm sorry. Yeah, rhubarb grows wild. Right. And so it was all about how cheaply can we live? Right. But but I mean, compare compare pumpkin or uh, sweet potato. You've had pecan pie. Oh, yeah, for sure. hundred percent. OK. I mean, now now pecan pie. Now we're talking. Now Don't we're know. getting into the realm of real desserts. I love pumpkin pie. <laughs> OK. Do you eat it dry or do you eat it with whipped cream? Yeah, I mean, more whipped cream than pumpkin. It's got to be like, yeah. Okay, so what we love now, we know you like whipped cream. You're just looking for a damn delivery system. That's what pumpkin pie is for you. This is what I talk about about oysters all the time. Like, I realize I don't actually like oysters. I just like the crackers and the lemon and the Tabasco and the stuff you put on top. I just like, I just use the oyster as a vessel to get the condiments in my mouth, basically. Yeah. I mean, and you know, I will tell you this, that even if you eat pumpkin pie that's gone bad, it's not going to kill you. You cannot say that with an oyster. I kind of think the ones that are good are going to kill me too. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I, we would, we grew up eating oysters because again, I grew up on the Gulf coast. When, when was your first oyster and how in the world did they talk you into it? I've never been a seafood guy in general. I've never really liked seafood. Um, and so the the first one had to be a really extreme talking in situation, but 
it was so terrible and I didn't have it again for like 10 years that I don't actually remember the first one because it was like any of my sea creature experience. I hated it all my whole life other than a tuna fish sandwich or like a, a fish stick or something. To me, that was like, oh yeah, those are cool because that's fake. I don't even know if that's, you know, what is that? Um, but, and every time I say I don't like seafood, somebody always says, yeah, but you like salmon, right? Salmon's the worst of them all. That's the, it's gotta go. But Here's, so my first one, here, go ahead. I don't remember it because it was as bad as everything else. Then I realized I like them as vessels to get the crackers in my mouth, basically. Now, here's my thing about salmon. I think there are what I call conversion foods, right? Salmon, lamb, whiskey. If you tell people you do not like salmon or lamb or whiskey, they'll tell you, no, no, no. But if you tried this, you would. If you tried this salmon, if you tried smoked salmon, oh, if you tried lamb within this recipe, oh, if you tried this whiskey, this is really good. And my response is always, I am a grown damn man. I know what I like and I know what I don't like. And if, if you want that lamb, hell, there's more for you. You don't have to share it with me. You know, go crazy. But yeah, now I will say, I, I will say with salmon, I like it in sushi. Because when you don't cook salmon is when it doesn't taste fishy. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do love sushi now. I think I was just eating bad fish growing up. Um, <laughs> or, <clears throat> or bad recipes. Um, mom, grandma, I mean, all you know, whoever cooked it. No. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Now that I'm older, I was about to say old, older. Um, sushi, I could eat all day, every day. But I can't do the seaweed wrap. It's got to be soy wrap. Um, because when the fish is fresh, it doesn't taste like fish, but that seaweed wrap always tastes like seaweed. And Gary, if you like seaweed wrap, then we'll call no, it an Alabama thing. No. And it is what it is. No, you're a grown damn man. You can like whatever you want. Uh, no, I don't do seaweed wrap either. I mean, listen, I love sushi. I love the taste of sushi, but I'm not going to lie. There's something about that salty soy sauce, you know, cause I'm not a purist, you know, Oh no, I would never add anything that the chef doesn't want in there. And yeah, as long as I'm paying for it, I'm going to have whatever the hell I want, right? If you want to give it to me for free, okay, I'll try it the way you want. But, you know, until we go to France, that was the only time. It was the only time anybody was ever rude to me in France. I, I ordered a meal one night and, and the guy was like, it was beef. I said, can I get that medium? And the kid looks at me and goes, like, you know, rolls his eyes. And I'm like, okay. And he brought it out. And in his defense, he was absolutely right. You know, their thing is you'll get it the way the chef wants you to have it. And it was it was wonderful, and I loved it, and I enjoyed it. But yeah, that's I don't do I don't do tripe, and I don't do lamb. What's your don't do's? Well, I don't like it's really a lot of just my fish. Um, but actually, I don't eat red meat and or pork, and I haven't for like I guess since I was probably 12, like fifteen years. Um, so my don'ts are kind of interesting there. Um, but as far as like the stuff I do eat that you would consider normal. I used, I don't know. My, my palate's been changing. Like I, I do like some fish now and stuff. Like I said, I used to think olives were like God jokes, God's joke to food. Um, and now I'll, I'll put them on my fingertips and eat olives. You know, um, I won't do, I don't really know. I don't think I'm so, I don't think I'm too picky actually. Wow. Um, good for you. I mean, caviar would probably be disgusting. I don't know if I don't do it because I've never tried it. Cause I just won't. It's another one of those things, if you tried it, I mean, you're either going to really love it or you're really going to hate it. 
I mean, there's no yeah. in between. And again, I would never give it to a 14 year old. But if mm -hmm. you're over 30, I trust you with it because now you can decide what it is you like and what you don't like. Yeah. Um, my grandma gave me pate one time, which was absolutely disgusting. Um, that is. <laughs> How um, old were you? I mean, it's still on the table every time Christmas comes around. I think she's still trying. It's a uh, first time, probably 20, I guess. I don't know. Early 20s. So, um, like, truly duck liver pate, huh? Uh, yep. <laughs> Uh, the other Did thing you I just tried, almost barf just then? The other thing I, I tried um, a few years ago on radio tour, uh, I was in Louisville, and our uh, <laughs> our dinner, um, he, lo he loves quail eggs. And so and we were at a sushi restaurant, and they had served quail eggs. He goes, oh, that's my favorite thing. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. And I tried it with him. <sighs> And it was so disgusting. I, what we should have done had been like, you know what? If we get this ad for sure, um, it was my first single. It was radio tour. We were, we were promoting the difference. If we can get this ad for sure, I will eat this quail egg. But we didn't. It was just like we were hanging, you know? And if, and if Nate, you know, before Nate ever even played the difference, if he was like, hey, let's have a quail egg, and it was a good conversation, I'd be like, sure, why not? I should have been like, if you give me this ad, I'm going to eat this quail egg because it was so disgusting i held my breath for five seconds after this is what i do this is a trick also a few years ago i learned that if you take a shot and you don't want to taste it just hold your breath so i take a long you know deep breath before i take a shot <sighs> no taste it's gone for the most part really uh, yeah and so i mean you'll you still can taste it you had some whiskey but it's not like you don't get that or that tequila burn you know um yeah, so I did that with the quail egg. Held it five seconds, thinking it was going to work like a shot. I can't imagine what the first five seconds were like because after <laughs> five, it was still so bad. And now I see him on the group. I never saw him in California, in Tennessee, Nashville. Buy regular eggs. It's quail eggs, quail eggs. I'm like, what the heck? I don't know. I have I've never had a quail egg. You should I never. And and I won't. Based on this recommendation, I will never have a quail egg at yeah. all. It's it's, and you know. Can we can we speak to that? Uh, people love people love seeing us behind the scenes, and nobody. I've I've had people hear the term radio tour, right? And people ask me, "What is it?" And I'm like, "I can give you my perspective, but I am where they're coming to. I think it's a completely different situation." For the artist, because, you know, I mean, yeah, you're, you're trying to get the ad. You're trying to say, hey, listen to our song. The beautiful thing about KRTY, where I worked, is if they love it, they're going to play it. And if they don't, they'll tell you why. You know, and, and really, that's that's the only that's the that's all you could really hope for. But in these other scenarios, you go into there not knowing anything, anybody and they and, you know, they don't know you. Right. Oh yeah. Oh, sorry. I thought you were taking a breath. Oh, no, no, no. I want to. I want to get. I'm just. I'm just setting the table just to tell, say what's it like from your side. Um, so I, I, I want to hash on something you said really quick um, about KRTY and Nate and every, and playing music if he likes it, right? Adding it if he likes it. Um, number one, my very first ad ever of the difference, first radio station to ever agree to play the song. Um, and your guys were my first stop on radio tour, but he had already added it a month before. My first stop, 
And you were my first call on the way to the station in the airport, or we were going to see you the next day we were traveling. And you said, how's radio tour going so far? And I was like, well, it's only the first day, but I did still only sleep two hours, but I've been waiting my whole life to be this tired. And because we had already started a lot of the shows of radio tour. <clears throat> and you were like, been waiting your whole life to be this tired. That's what it is. That's what radio tour is. And uh, so every day, because it was five, it was five months, you know, and it's, um, a, a lot of the newer artists I'm hearing are going out sometimes almost a year now, and it's breaking up into pieces. Um, whereas in we went February until I think June, and it was five days a week, two to four station visits a day, just 30 minute performance, a two hour hang. Um, it's one of the coolest, uh, coolest, stressful, like inner growth, creating, expanding um, artist experience I'd ever been through. Uh, getting because every person and every station and every listener and every person that comes in is so different. And you're not just playing for um, for you on the air. You know, we're not just playing for Nate in his office. A lot of times, you're playing for the front desk girl, the uh, the assistant, the radio ad sales team will come in. They don't do anything with music. They just sell the ad space on the air. And so everybody loves a little bit of everything that's different. Um, and yeah, I do miss radio tour a lot because I, I made so many, you know, cool friends in radio along the way. And it's, it's fun. You sit there and there's a, uh, yeah, you just try to figure people out, try to figure out what version of my story is this person going to connect to the most? What version of my story does this person want to hear? Um, is this ready? Is this person more of a talker than a listener? You know, you, you have to figure, I read a lot of sales books too, right before I started radio tour. I read a lot of, um, pitch meeting books and online blogs and Reddit forums and all sorts of stuff of people's tips and tactics. Cause I've never, I've been lucky enough. I've been playing music my whole life, you know, and whether that meant for tips on the street in Santa Monica or now what I get to do today it was always just music and it always was just selling myself in a different way, but I never had to actually walk in an office and do it. And so it was cool. Yeah. I learned a lot about myself and a lot about the entire industry in those five months and a lot about each and every person as soon as I got there. Cause a lot of people like to hear themselves talk. And then there's a lot of people that like to hear other people talk, you know? And so you got to figure that person out right away or you're going to waste your time <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> And and I the thing I like the way radio tours used to be done because I think KR2Y changed the way because instead of just doing the office stuff that's when we started taking you out to the club we would do that there would years we'd take them out to the club because you guys are making no money you're making no money and so we took the attitude of we'd take these brand new acts and say hey uh, we're gonna charge you a five dollar cover five dollar cover ten dollar cover and we're gonna pay these acts we didn't tell the audience that but that's what we were doing. And we've had, Nate can tell you the stories, he's had people break down in tears because they didn't know how they were going to pay their rent that month. And this money came in so, so handily because you're doing the radio tour. You're not doing what you do to make make uh, your living. Uh, but I always loved it when they would come in and play for everybody because, you know, if you're in sales or you're in the front office, you're not back there having all the fun that we are. That makes it real, Right. And they become your biggest salesperson, right? This salesperson goes, man, that Tyler Rich, I am 100% all in. And it's that human to human contact, which is 
what you do from the stage, you do what we do. Now, now you get applause, but you don't interact with everybody in that audience. You don't talk to everybody in that audience, but you have to connect with everyone in that audience. You know, and, and is it is it more intimidating playing in front of 15 people, 50 people or 500 people? Intimidating is a is a is a good word to really make me think because they're all so different. So which one is more intimidating? Usually 15. Uh, okay, so right now today in this moment, I don't know because I've done every type of show imaginable for the past 15 years. And so, but I would say thank thankfully for me for all of my casino lounge shows for my on the beach lounge shows, my Vegas shows, my Napa shows, where I would just sit in a corner for four hours and play songs five nights a week. Sometimes there'd be one person in the casino bar. And um, I was forced, like, if I'm going to make money tonight, or if I want to make a fan tonight, how am I going to make this one person have fun? How am I going to turn this one person into a hundred before the next hour starts? Um, so I love all the different types of shows now today, like when we do VIP before a show, it's um, 50 max, which a lot of them we do sell all 50 VIP passes. But some of the smaller cities we've never been to before, sometimes we'll sell like five VIP passes, which is so cool for me because then sometimes I'll just be like, why don't we do this on the bus? Let's just go on the bus, take the guitar up there and then really just talk and hang out with them. But say it is 50 because you did 15, 50 or 500. If it is 50, that's our VIP show right now. That's my favorite part of the whole night. Other than the, the real meat of the, of the huge show when we're going. But that 50 people getting to talk, getting to connect, it isn't intimidating anymore. When you're first starting, terrifying. Guys, that's a good question because it's hard. Like I now I keep thinking of like, when you're first starting, it's always only 15 people, right? And you're so terrified of the big crowd and you choke and you squeak and you, your voice tightens up. I like... And I mean it when I say this, like, it's so funny because I feel like if, say, if Luke Combs called me up and said, hey, dude, want to do a stadium date? I don't think there would be one ounce of nerve of like, oh, there's going to be 80,000 people. It would just be, look at us go. Let's get, like, because when you're looking out, it's crazy and there's so many lights, there's so many people, but you're still only looking at 15 to 50 people at a time, you know? I could talk in circles around this for 50 no, hours. I, I love it. And my answer is. <laughs> I, I love it because, and that's why I use the word, because I don't think fear has anything to do with it. And intimidation is not fear. Intimidation is being aware of what you are and what you're trying to do and the circumstances that you're facing. Right. And I, I would, I would think there has to be something because you learn more from that one person show than you would the 70,000 person show. I mean, I mean that's it's like, uh, you know, my sons play sports. I know you do. I always tell them when they're in a blowout, only one team is learning. And it's not the team that's, that's, that's winning. That team's not learning any damn thing. But the team that's getting blown out is learning a lot every, each and every day. Uh, and the same thing, winning over that one person. Once you know how to win over that one person, winning over 70,000 is easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> intimidating and easy <laughs> well it, it, but but how long so you're in yuba city that's where you grew up you're out here in california and 
when did when was your first concert? How old were you? Um, it's really sad because it just the the arena is getting torn down as we speak. Um, I was eight, and I went to Arco Arena, which then became Sleep Train Arena and a bunch of places in Sacramento. Um, <clears throat> I was eight. And I went to go see George Strait with my cousin Brad. Um, it was the Pure Country tour. Um, when I was a kid, Pure Country was my favorite movie. It was, but I, you know, I, and I've told this story a bunch, but I, yeah, I didn't know that George Strait was a real singer. I just knew he was dusty from the movie when I was a kid. And so, <laughs> and he had no ponytail. Yeah. He had no ponytail, which I was pissed off about when I went to the show. Uh, this doesn't look like dusty Brad. Um, and, uh, it, yeah, it's really cool. Cause, um, Red Akins was on that. And the few times I've gotten to write with Rhett since, you know, moving to Nashville, we always talk about how, uh, he was my first show when I was eight. Um, I'm the old and, asshole. And he appreciates that. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so damn much. Yeah. But yeah, so I fell in love with live music, like right then and there, just watching George from binoculars from the top, you know, looking down. And then I didn't get, I didn't do a lot, see any other live music again for until I was in eighth grade. I was 14 and, um, you know, Papa Roach is from Sacramento, Vacaville. And, um, they had just gotten the record deal and Papa Roach used to come to Yuba city and play shows in our grocery store parking lots. When Toby, their bass player actually played like a, um, trombone, maybe I'm trying to think what he used to play. I swear to God, yeah, no, okay. Also the reason I lost my book, so I was screaming at the 49ers game last night. Oh, uh, sorry. My wife's birthday. It blew out. Then I got on a red eye, flew to Nashville and I just woke up. So that's why I don't have a voice. I won't make you talk long. I promise. We'll cut it short here a little bit. I don't want to. I don't want to blow your voice. Yeah, my voice keeps warming up. The more we go, so it's great. Um, that uh, he was playing trombone. I think, yeah. But that's how early Papa Roach was for us. You know, growing up in the area. And so then, I was in they had the first record deal, and Last Resort was the biggest song in the freaking world. And um, I was like, we gotta go. So me and you know three buddies went to Memorial Auditorium in Sacramento and saw Papa Roach and um, they had Lincoln Park, Lincoln Park's first tour, and. Uh, yeah, and so wow. that was like what you know. My music to me is how earlier you were saying, you know, whiskey and salmon and um, lamb, lamb, lamb. Yeah, like transitional. Like as soon as you said that, I was thinking like when people say, "Oh, I don't like country music." There's two ways you could take it of trying to get make them become a fan. You can hit them with like the bluesy rock kind of folky vibe, like Chris Stapleton. Um, because when they say, I don't like country music, they mean they don't like the sounds of like Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson and like the old school traditional stuff, right? Or you can take it the other way and be like Sam Hunt or the Thomas Rhett. That's a good transitional. It'll get them, you know, the, the pop rock country vibe um, that could get them to actual traditional country music down the road. You need that little, that little segue, right? And so for me, because, you know, my, my music is so... It's so me. It's like people try to ask me to explain it all the time. And I'm like, dude, I don't know. I grew up listening to country. And Garth Brooks is my, one of my favorite artists of all time. He's who I learned how to play guitar, singing songs when I was 14. At the same time that year, I went and saw Papa Roach as my first concert with my friends and Metallica that same year. And so there's so much aggression and high energy in our live show, even though a lot of my recorded country songs that are out are love songs. So people, 
people come to the show with the girlfriends you know, on the back. Oh, it's, and this is something we're seeing in real time now that we just did our third show for my second headlining tour. And so that was just this weekend. Um, but two months into building this new show, new lights, new set lists, new songs, um, heart and soul into the whole thing. And so it's cool to watch it come to life now because it's last year the show was when you listen to better than you're used to, when you listen to the difference. I would expect you to feel the way that I feel when I wrote it and the way I, when I hear it today is pretty ethereal, bright, light, happy, right? Those are the vibes. Um, whereas in this new show channels more, you're getting those same songs, but it's channeling more of the aggression and the rock side of our show and the energy of the show into more of an edgier, dark vibe mixed with the happy, pretty songs that we still play. And so it kind of was like, I finally wanted this show to like match the bipolarity that actually goes on in my mind <laughs> when, when I'm making the art, right? And so um, it's really cool because last year our goal was, John Mayer said this one time when, when I saw him, he said, I'd like to thank all the guys that are here tonight because I know either a girl forced you to come or a buddy of yours came with a girl last year and told you, you got to see this shit. And so that, and so that was my thing. Like, Let's make our live show so much us that like the guys that are there on a date because the girl loves Lever Wild um, goes home and is like, yo, that was a show that you guys got to see. That was, that was a party. That was fun. And now we're watching it in real time. It's happening from the headline tour last year. This year, we're three shows in. And I would say the male population in the crowd, the male audience number, I would say is probably up like 25%. Um, and they're with just the guys. And so to us, it's like such a big win. You know, my new song, Trucks Don't Lies, an aggressive song about getting cheated on. And, um, but it's a guy's song, you know, and uh, it's just cool. I don't know. Like I said, I'll run, you say one thing, I'll run 14 circles in the opposite direction. To no, and that's, and that's why I love talking to you. That's why I just let you go. I mean, because I find you interesting. Trust me, if I, if I were bored, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, whatever, shut up. You know, I'm not. I, I love the way your mind goes because I was sitting back thinking, you know, you go from eight-year-old hearing George Strait being as smooth as smooth could be to 14 years old. I, I don't, you know, I know Papa Roach, I don't know his whole thing, but to be exposed to Chester Bennington? And Lincoln, Lincoln, you know, okay, Lincoln Park, it's, that's a different sound, man. That is not smooth. That is nothing but angst and hard edge. And, and I think you have to mix it up. You know, God forbid. I mean, I think when all you do is deal in that, Chester, RIP. I mean, it, it is. When that's all you deal with, it's just not, I don't think it's healthy for anybody. Yeah, right? For sure. And, yeah. and, but I can't imagine the effect it had on you, the way your brain must have not cramped, but must have adapted to go, well, I love George Strait, but I love this. Yeah. It's a whole different, you know, it's like you said, smooth, right? Like that's all George Strait is, is smooth, right? John Mayer is smooth, you know, and there's like, there's such an art to never even moving when you're on stage and standing in one spot and mesmerizing a crowd. From the storytelling to the guitar licks, to then an art completely on the other side where you don't stop moving, and the crowd is just like this is insane. You know, like they're having the best time. And um, I'm so thankful for growing up in Northern California in such a hub of like being so close to the Bay Area, loving hip hop growing up because of it. 
being so close to, uh, I mean, Yuba City is nothing but farms, right? I mean, like the only thing my mom listened to growing up was country. And I'm like so thankful for that. The only thing my dad listened to growing up was rock. Um, the only thing my grandma listens to is classical. You know, and so I, I listen to classical on planes, listen to classical at the house still to this day. Um, it calms me because of that, you know, and it, uh, I love that all of my influences show up in my music and our show, um, because I think that's how it's meant to be. And when I first started playing actual guitar and learn, what do I want to do with this? I want to do this. I was learning because my uncle Tim and, you know, he would always have his guitar at our house and any of our family functions, he would, um, bring it with a bunch of his buddies and their guitars and they would just sit around playing for hours. And they weren't jumping around on a stage. They weren't hair metal and shredding guitars like Metallica. Uh, they were five dudes with guitars singing Creedence Clearwater, Tom Petty, Garth Brooks, Brooks and Dunn, Alan Jackson. They were singing songs that made a, a room of 15 people pay attention. you know. And so when I first got the guitar, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to play with them. And so I dove into country as hard as I could. And that's where I learned how to write music. And then, um, yeah, it's cool. It's a, it's a fun ride. It's awesome. Take a quick break. Come right back. More with Tyler Rich, because this is just awesome. Just like he said. Feliz Navidad, my friends. And get ready for the holiday season by giving your friends and family a treat with catering from, wait for it, Havana, Cuba. I had no idea they offered catering either, but what a great idea. Change up the menu with the best Cuban sandwich I've ever tasted, and fried plantains will change your life. Here's something else you didn't know. Havana, Cuba was voted one of the top 10 tamales in all of San Jose. 998cuba.com. And they have vegan, vegetarian, and gluten-free options. 387 South 1st Street in San Jose. Their catering will make... Make this a Merry Christmas indeed with Habana Cuba. So, Tyler, my thing is is I, I love how you got all of these influences and stuff, and then you start creating your own path, right? Playing songs, doing all the stuff, as you were saying. And then some people, as you say, start championing you when they didn't have any reason to, like Dustin Lynch and John Party. Can you share those stories? Yeah, a thousand percent. So I was uh, still doing the casino routes. I was, you know, lucky. I mean, lucky. It was such a, such a fine. If you're a struggling musician out there and you are playing shows right now in dive bars, making pennies, like check out the casino circuit. Um, I did one show at a winery near Napa and a Vegas booker saw me playing for tips and gave me a card. And then all of a sudden I had a residency in Vegas and it was incredible. And so I was doing that putting out singles and doing 10 uh, Instagram, let you do 10 seconds. I think at that time, 10 second videos on Instagram played a little, just blimp of mind reader from Dustin Lynch. Uh, wasn't even a single. It was just my favorite song in the new album that had just dropped. And, um, that and the hashtag somehow made it to him and his management, you know, their office and whatnot. And then about six months went by and they I guess just been watching what I was doing and, reached out like, Hey, we'd love to take a meeting with you next time you come to Nashville. And it was going to be the first time I'd ever gone to Nashville. <laughs> and so, uh, cause I was, naive. You have I was a meeting. Like, yeah. Right. And I was, and I was naive at that time. I was like, I'd lived in LA for 10 years and LA is, you know, such an entertainment capital. I was like, Oh, I can do this from here. Cause I'd never been to Nashville. I didn't know what the force was of Nashville, Tennessee, where now I've been for almost eight years. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, cool. I guess that's my sign. I guess I should go. So I went like a week later and 
hung out in town and played my first show. Same thing I was doing in those lounges. I just played cover songs on stage for like an hour and um, went to this meeting with Dustin's management. And then Dustin ended up being there. And he goes, yeah, man, I'm a big fan. And it was cool. It's all I really needed to know. They were like, I want you to go take a bunch of meetings and feel like we're the team for you kind of thing. Uh, and then let's see where it goes. And I took a couple meetings, but I don't know. I'm, I'm the type of guy that like, like when Scott Bruschetta wanted to sign me with Big Machine, like um, we took the meeting with Scott and we played and did the thing. And he, you know, he was like, let's do a showcase with the band. And we did it. And in that moment, I was like, he was passionate and he loved it. And he goes, we're going to figure out how this is going to work, where we're going to put you. And I was like, why would I want to take meetings with anybody else? I was like, we found somebody that's passionate. And um, somebody might be like, well, I love you too. I'll give you more money or something. But like the initial passion, the initial like, I want you and nobody else cares is, is what really drove me to Dustin and my manager, Neil, who I'm still with. Um, uh, and Scott, Scott's just innovative, creative brain and um, so many things I'd seen him do. And so like, I think I told Dustin and Neil and them and Pete um, that I took a bunch of meetings, but I didn't. I was just like, I'm good. I'm going I'm to go sign with them. They seem like a great team that loves what I'm doing and let's go from there. And so we, uh, I moved to town. Oh, that was their one thing though. They're like, man, you can, you got to move to town. You can't do what you're doing in LA. Um, and so I moved out four weeks later and uh, just cross country alone with my dog and um, moved to Nashville. And it was awesome. And then like, I would say probably about a year later, Dustin took me on his Hell of a Night tour, which was four months uh, across country, whole country. And it was I did acoustic, 30 minutes, opening up the show um, before having a record deal, before any of that stuff. And then um, grinded it out for another year, kept writing songs, 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 and met a bunch of songwriters. Uh, and not just songwriters, met like the songwriters basically on that Dustin tour because really have time to write in town once you're really going. And so you'll bring a couple writers on the road every other weekend or whatnot. And so it was the best I got to, I was so new in town. It's so green and taking people like Dustin and John's, um, party's advice of like meet and write with everybody. You know, like if you're a cookout, if you're a fast food restaurant, you hear a guy in lines talking about, he just moved down. He's writing songs. People get his number, write songs. Man. You know, like, 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 I don't care who it is, what it is, write two songs a day with strangers. You just, it's the only way you get good. And it's the only way you meet people in town. It's the only way you're going to get to the people that you really want to be writing with one day. And so that's what I did. Just went crazy, crazy, crazy. And then all of a sudden I'm on this tour. Um, also, the thing that got the attention though, as I'm telling the story, I'm obviously remembering other things that got me the actual meeting is I had released my song Radio, which was my very first ever independent single. Um, and that song started doing so well online and I started getting book shows and opening for Sam Hunt and opening for Cole Swindell and these other people in California, opening for John Party, uh, these kind of things. And then, um, so now I'm in Nashville and I've got a little bit of a, you can't even call it a buzz. It was like the beginning of a bee before he even starts to fly buzz or sting. It was like, and I felt like the queen bee. I was like, we're taking over, but I guess the king bee, right? I don't know, but I'm the king of the world. I'm the king of the world. Three people have heard of me. Um, <laughs> and he, uh, and Dustin. And so I'm on this tour and all these songwriters every night. It was beautiful because it was four months straight and they would watch my show 
my 30 minute acoustic set. How do you win over in a crowd anywhere from 1200 to 4,000 people with an acoustic guitar for 30 minutes? You learn a lot about yourself real quick. Um, and, uh, which I was like trying to use those casino tactics, <laughs> uh, on a really big crowd. That's just there to party, you know? And so the songwriters would watch the show and then we would drink, get to know each other, watch Chris Lane, watch Dustin Lynch together. And then the next day, all of a sudden we're buddies. They're writing with Dustin, but they're watching the show again. They're watching stuff work. They're giving me tips, giving me ideas. So then all of a sudden, you know, that whole two years after that, I'm writing with all of these A-list writers because I had a chance to really spend time with them as a person for two to four days every week. Um, and they got to see my show three nights, two to four nights in a week straight. You know, so it's like, there's no greater introduction than that. And then uh, that just led to a whole lot of other songwriting and writing great songs. So many, so many bad songs. Um, so many bad songs, Gary. I swear to God. Like, we have meetings still, you know, about our songs because we write so many a year that people never hear. Oh, this would be cool. Should we pitch that? And Michelle, my, uh, my main song plugger, she was like, yeah, I mean, that was like, that was just one of the, probably one of the worst songs we'd heard in a long time. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what it is because we write one a day. It doesn't matter. You know, it's like you spend four hours on it. It is what it is. But it's so funny. Sometimes it takes a year to even understand that that song sucked. Uh, cause you're so passionate, you're so passionate about it and you write it with all stars, you know? And so you're like, what the hell were we thinking? Um, I'll send you, you know, some of them because it's pretty funny. I would stuff. love to. I would love to hear them. I uh, we just had Ashley Gorley out here, right? Ashley Gorley, in case you don't know, is like the the songwriter of the year. He's written four million songs. Uh, he's just amazing. And I asked him, and he started talking about writing songs. I said, Well, how many have you? How many of you have, um, just didn't take off? He goes, Ninety percent. 90% of them. You're only hearing the 10% that work. 90% were abject, utter failures. And we'll never talk of them again. <laughs> you know? And that's the biggest and best. And Shane McAnally's told me the same thing. He goes, oh, God. He goes, I write a bad song a week. And I'm like, now? He goes, oh, yeah, now. And, you know, he's, he's an 800-pound gorilla. Oh, yeah, yeah, I still write a bad song a week. I just don't know which one is the bad one. That's what he said. I write a bad song a week. I just don't know which one's the bad one, which is what you were talking about. It's true. Because you love them all for different reasons, you know? And, you, and when you're in those co-writing sessions, you're telling everybody's story at the same time. Because, you know, one person comes to the room like, hey, let's write about this today. This is going on. You're obviously writing about that concept and that person, but everything that you're contributing to the song is from your own reflection of that person's story from things you've been through. And, um, and so you're connected to it in that way and you're connected to it because I don't know, I've written songs with people in a room that were so passionate about something. I know it means the world to that songwriter and I might love it. And then I feel like this ownership of like, I have to put this song out or Billy's going to hate me. You know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> we, don't, <laughs> we don't even really get a say, you know, like lucky enough, I'm at a point in my career that, you know, Scott and um, Allison, my A&R over Big Machine, they, they trust me enough to... Jaron Johnson from Cadillac 3 is producing me now. And we have a little bit of say of like, we should do this song because of this. And unless they hate it or see a red flag for some reason, they're like, yeah, let's do it. You know, whereas before it was, it was more like, cool, this is what we're doing. Enjoy the ride. 
<laughs> okay, I want to I want to talk about some of those names you you glossed over. We're, we'll get back to that. I, I just want to reflect over your story. Now that you have enough time, distance, and experience, you realize how unique and unusual your experience was. You get it now, don't you? I mean, the fact that a Dustin Lynch would see you do a 10-second cover and be intrigued enough to hang with you. Uh, the fact that Scott Borchetta, now that you know who Scott Borchetta is, good luck. Yeah, tell some of your friends to try to get a meeting with Scott Borchetta and see what happens, right? Maybe sometime in three years, sometime within the next three years, maybe you might get a phone call, if you will. I mean, that speaks volumes to your talent. And I'm not asking you to, to, to for any false humbleness or to brag on yourself. These are my words. It, it speaks to your talent that you had such an unusual path because, man, you know well enough now that shit don't happen. It's tough. Yeah. Thank you, by the way. That uh, It was uh, a series of perfect fortunate events that all kind of like rolled together. And, um, but it, I do, I do want to throw out also that like, when you look at the great, the greater big picture, it, it is kind of crazy that it does really all come down to one 10 second thing that kind of snowballed into that. Um, but the reason I was getting those shows, those Sam Hunt shows and the Colson Dell shows, stuff like that when I was still living in California, um, I would go to these shows with these little business cards. Um, and I call it a business card. It didn't have contact info, but it was just a promo, prom, promo card, business card says. Picture of me and on the back, this is before Spotify. This is like nine years ago. Um, Reverb Nation was like one of the only places you could get like free music. And so I put, follow me on Instagram and I will DM you a link to a free song. And so um, I would walk up and down lines at arena shows, music festivals. I walked around Stagecoach because, you know, before my wife and I met at Stagecoach six years ago, I was going four years straight before that. It's just kind of like, even though Palm Springs is so far from where I grew up, but that's kind of, you know, hometown country festival. Uh, I walked around that festival, 80,000 people, handing out probably about 10,000 of those cards a year, telling people, Hey, I'm playing next year and they let me into, and they're allowing me to promote early. Check out a free song so we can sing together next year. Oh, yeah, let's take a shot. Sure. Hey, check out Boba. Yeah, I love a beer. You know, and just walk through the campsites. Um, lying, lying every single year. But because of that, by the time my name ended up in Scott Bruschetta's lap, um, because he, Justin Moore is on my label and Justin Moore was with my management company that I was with at that time, Dustin's company. Um, my manager, Pete, at the time was on a jet with Scott going to a Justin Moore show. And Scott was like, hey, who, who you got in the works right now? What's going on? And when he showed him my stuff, it wasn't just music in a 10 second, you know, I can sing. It was, I already had 103,000 followers on Instagram. Because I spent years going up and down these lines in these festivals with these cards to build my following online. Um, I would also do that even at my own shows. Exactly what I was saying when I opened up for Cole in Sacramento at Ace of Spades. Because I knew the first 200 people in line 
are the most passionate fans. Um, and I know that they are going to be the first ones in front of the stage. So when I'm playing acoustic, they're the only people I'm going to see right here. So I went out to the front of the line, that show over and over and over again, every show just like that. Introduce myself, give them that card. You're going to hear this song tonight. If you want it for free, DM me on Instagram. Blah, blah, blah. So by the time I went on the stage, the only people I could really see kind of were already connected, kind of already friends. Um, and so it was like guerrilla marketing times a thousand forever. And it's, it's still, it's still going, you know, we, um, nowadays artists have everything at their fingertips from TikTok, which it adds a whole new layer of stress. Um, but TikTok and Instagram reels and Spotify and just all this stuff. And so, I don't know. I applaud the people that really go like my buddy Spencer Crandall. He is just a freaking TikTok force. Every day of his life, he's doing stuff using every resource he has, which we didn't have back in the day. And I'm like, uh, I'm doing my best. I get I have TikTok moments, but um, yeah, it's fun. See, it's I never, ride, man. I had never heard that part of your story, and that is brilliant. That is brilliant. I mean, now kids, you you young youngsters, you know, or if you've got a son or daughter who wants to do this, that's how hard you got to work. That's the hustle, and, and it's all about the hustle, right? There's a lot of talented people out there who got no interest in working hard, and the people who are, you know, it, it's. I'm not saying someone's not talented, but there are a lot of people who are just as talented as you, if not more, and are willing to outwork you. And that right there. That's not working because I'm telling you, the, the hardest thing, the hardest thing I do is the most rewarding thing I do right before we go shows like we got Tyler coming to town uh, uh, to do a show here at a bar. Uh, and what I'll do is I'll go out and I walk through the bar and I try to talk to everybody in that bar. I try to give everybody a moment, right? Because they've given me my life. They, you know, I've, I've listened to you for this is what I get. I've listened to you since I was in grade school. And here's my son. I brought him to the show. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, 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 and you try to give them that moment and create that connection. But when I, when I, I, when I go off, when you go on, I'm beat. I'm just beat. You know, having that moment and doing that and really listening to people and really connecting with them because they're just meeting you one time. You're meeting everybody out there, however many times. So that's why I so appreciate it because I know how much hard work. It sounds cool. Yeah, here's my card. Yeah, this is it. I'll do a shot, stuff like that. Unless you're in this business and you're going, oh, man, I can't imagine how exhausting that was. I can't imagine going around 80,000 people at Stagecoach. And, and by the way, if you've never been to Stagecoach, it's just a dusty field with nothing. And everybody's playing. And it's just like, I talked to a record rep. I heard her husband. I was like, they went to Stagecoach, you know, earlier. And I said, how was it? She goes, it was horrible the way it is. Always, every year, horrible. <laughs> so to be in that environment and doing that with people who have so little interest in, in knowing who the hell you are, man, I am, I am so impressed with you. I really am. Thank you. It's, it's cool, man. Thank you. It was, and two like really cool full circle moments. Um, one of them I actually experienced Saturday, two nights ago, Saturday at the Troubadour. Um, when I still lived in Northern, when I still lived in California, 
it was before radio even came out. My single radio acoustic first song I ever put out. 2014. In 2014, somewhere in that year, I was at Luke Bryan, Dustin Lynch. I believe Dustin was on that tour before I knew him. Um, at the Wheatland Amphitheater, right by where I grew up. And I was out in the parking lot after the show as people, you know, this is before I even had the card because I didn't have a song to give out yet. I just had demos on my phone. And I opened up my truck doors and I, and I was just asking people, can I play you guys some songs? Can I play you guys some songs? Can I play you guys some songs? And this... And that doesn't sound song. creepy at all. That doesn't sound creepy at all. No, no. Hey, hey girls, can I play you some songs in my truck? No, come on here. Lock. <laughs> They all had guys with them. It was groups, you know. Um, thanks to my mom, I have a big old inviting smile. Um, but we, uh, and lots of people stopped, you know, and became friends and stuff like that. But because a lot of those people became fans and I started seeing them at shows in Sacramento once I started playing and releasing music. But two nights ago at the Troubadour, this girl came up to me after the show. She held up the picture and it was us that day, 2014, Luke Bryan. And she said, because of school and my job and everything ever since then, she goes, I've always been following you. I've always been listening to your music. This is the first time I've ever gotten to see you eight years later. And, uh, and it was just such a cool full circle moment. It was, um, it was a pretty stressful show for us because Morgan Wallen had already sold out 15,000 tickets at Staples Center. Well, Crypto Arena now, Staples Center forever. Um, <laughs> down the street. And then a month later, we announced the Troubadour. And uh, then he announced second night at Crypto Arena, another 15,000 tickets. We still were 20 tickets short of selling out the Troubadour. Um, and so that was pretty incredible for us. Um, it was an emotional show. It was awesome. And then at the end, her coming up and showing me that. It's like one of the last people as I was walking off stage. I was like, biggest hug. It was so cool. Stagecoach. I finally played Stagecoach for the first time, which means in 2018, when I was handing those things out... I was not lying. Well, I guess I wasn't handing them out anymore. But when I told people I'll be playing next year, I guess I wasn't lying. You know, I, I found out I was going to get to later. And we played in 2019. Um, and we were the last people on the stage we were playing. And so we didn't headline it, but it was um, like a little satellite stage they built in GA um, that went from 12 to 4. And so people could come up in GA and watch rather than the main stage where people have to pit or seats. And then you don't really... If you play from noon to four at a massive festival where it's just a bunch of seats, you're playing to white chairs because those people aren't getting there till like sunset, right? And so they built this satellite stage and we were the last people on it. And they said about 12,000 people watched our show, like walked right up to the stage, watch it. And it was just one of the coolest moments of my entire career. And I said, um, I told a very short version of the story of the cards. And I was like, was anybody out there showing your hands? Please keep them down if you weren't. I'd love to see your hands if you got one of my cards. When I lied to you and said I'd be playing the stagecoach next year, get my free download years ago. And uh, not only did probably like four or 500 people hold up their hands, but at least 50 to 100 held up the card. Wow. The card. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's so, the connection that you make. Crazy. I, I cried like a baby. No, it was so cool. Um, and we walked off stage and Luckily, because that was the end of that stage, and then you know Devin Dawson, my dude, California, right behind me, starts up on the main stage. Um, because of that little stage breaking down, I got to just stand there 
meet all of them, sign that card again, you know, do all that stuff. Um, really cool. Really, really, really cool. That's, that's so much fun. That is, that is just so damn cool. And isn't it wonderful now that you're finally at your stage, you get to play when it's dark. I, I remember, I remember telling that to Florida Georgia line when they just first come out and I'm like, man, just think one day you'll play in the dark and they laugh. They're like, hopefully, yeah, I think you did okay. Don't worry. <laughs> it worked out just fine. And the names you had mentioned a while ago. Okay. What was, what did you think the first time you heard Sam Hunt? The first time you saw him, because I remember hearing him and I'm like, wow, wow, because I love different sounds. And if you want to lose me, tell me that ain't country music. The moment those words come out of your mouth, I'm out. I'm out. Because I've been doing this. I mean, my first concert was Dolly Parton and Porter Wagner on a on a flatbed truck, on the, a bed of a flatbed truck in Red Level, Alabama. That was mine. So I've, like I've, I've been here for a long time. And I love the fact that we keep changing. Right? That's what makes, that's why we have so many new artists who can come in. And that's why the top touring rock acts are men in their 70s and in some case 80s. Because they won't let it change, right? So I love that new sound, but it would be interesting coming from an artist because I know you like different sounds. That's what you said. You like throwing a little RB. You like throwing a little, you know, Lincoln Park and, and Papa Roach. What did you think when you heard Sam Hunt? Uh, I heard the Between the Pines the EP, that first thing that he had put out uh, before Montevallo. And Ecstasy was the first song I heard. And I remember it because my friend Sal only listens to metal. I mean, like metal, metal. And yeah. so, Devin uh, Dawson metal. Yeah, even heavier. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Didn't, uh, didn't Devin Dawson do like death metal? Wasn't that he in? Yeah, it was pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, he, uh, I'm trying to think what Devin's band was called. He'd probably hate me if I told you, so never mind. Um, that, you know, no, he would freely admit to it. He's no, pretty good with that. No, he's the best. Um, but Sal does also listen to like, I don't know, some soft, like adult contemporary kind of stuff. And so when I was starting to put out my solo artist, you know, country stuff, he's like, I love this style. This is cool, man. I love the songwriting. It's really cool. It's different. Blah, blah, blah. And then I remember him sending me uh, ecstasy from the, his between the acoustic thing. And he goes, I don't think this is country, but I don't know anything about country. But my girlfriend or my, my sister or somebody just sent me this and it's her new favorite country song. And he goes, is this country? What do you think of this? Because he doesn't know, you know. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but it's pretty damn cool. I was like, this is clever. The melodies are awesome. His voice is cool. I was like, I, yeah. I was like, I like it a lot. <clears throat> and so, I, I mean, I've been a big fan ever since. Yeah. I mean, it's... And then Take Your Time. I mean, just so cool, man. Great, great artist. Great songwriter. Well, it's just interesting and fun, you know, hearing the names that you brought up and you've worked with everybody. Uh the fact that you got Scott Borchetta, because he to me, I love talking to Scott. I usually talk to him a couple of times a year on the air. And I always love it because he's just the damn smartest man in any room he's in. Right. And you can ask him a question and he's going to give you an answer that you're not expecting, but makes total sense. Mm -hmm. And some, and, and sometimes even when it's not the answer you want to hear. <laughs> too. Well, And that's what I was going to ask because I've never worked for him. Right. It's a different level because I've never worked for it, but I can only imagine how intimidating that can be. Again, using that word, 
saying, okay, here's, here is one of the big, big movers and shakers. He's got an interest in me, which is good and bad. And now, how does that go? Scott's the best. Um, Scott is equally terrifying as much as he is one of the easiest, funny, like coolest, easiest person people to talk to. He, um, since day one, he has fully like embraced and appreciated like, who I am as an artist and what I want to do, which is why I wanted to work with Scott. He is an idea man uh, and a plan maker. Like, so he, like, he can see something in his brain and make it come to fruition. And one of the coolest things he's done for me, I wrote a song last summer uh, in Nashville with three girls. And I'd never been in a room with just three other songwriters that were female. And I was like, this is going to be really cool. It was a blind date is what I call them. I didn't know any of them. They didn't know each other. So it was, um, we went in the room. We're like, so what are we going to do? Ladies? It's like, it's cool to write songs from a girl's perspective with one male voice in the room, you know? And um, we wrote a song called Thinking We're in Love. And one of the girls in the room, her voice what well, is so good, but she's just a songwriter, you know, she's a big pop songwriter in LA. And her voice is awesome. We're like, why don't we make this a duet? And so we made the demo a duet. And we're like, let's, and then, you know, let's, I'd love to put this out. It's, um, it's for sure pop leaning, very pop leaning. It's, um, I would compare it to like when Kenny Chesney does a song with Pink, right? It's like, uh, Keith Urban with Pink, where it's, um, a very pop rock country song. Um, and we're like, let's pitch this to a pop female artist because that'll that'll open the door. That'll open the window to new fans for myself, uh, new opportunities, new markets. And so Scott was like, so we can either... Because I'm obviously not going to land a massive pop artist like Pink, do a leap or something. I'd probably land a, you know, somebody new that's up and coming also, which is all equally cool. Um, but we wanted something big. And he's like, honestly, at your level, the answer is you don't want to hear. He goes... You're not going to get who you're going to want to get. Um, so rather than us waste a bunch of time, we can probably get somebody really big from another country. Let it blow up. Let it do its thing in another country. Cross that border. Cross that market. Open something new for you there. Let it do what it's going to do. Then if we want to do another version once it's already a big hit somewhere else and it has legs, we can revisit it here. Maybe do a remix or something with some other larger pop star in America. So immediately I'm like, oh, no, 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 this isn't it. That's not the vision. That's not the vision. And he's like, trust me, dude, trust me. So he calls me back and he's like, I got an idea. Um, so he used to, he started a show called The Launch in Canada, which was, you know, singing competition. I think he did a couple seasons. And so one of his judges, one of his coaches was a huge pop star from Quebec. Her name's uh, Marie May Bouchard. And she, um, is insane. She's so talented. He goes, what do you think about her? And I was like, who's that? <laughs> He's like, <laughs> check it out. No, and so, because she's, she's Quebec. She speaks, you know, a lot of her songs are in French. And so, um, she, uh, he showed me all these videos and I heard her voice. I was like, oh my gosh, she's insane. Would she do it? And she fell in love with the song right away and hit me up. She's like, I'd love to do it. Um, here's the thing. We got to do an English version, obviously, but then we have to do a 52% French version. Um, in order for it to be played in my country. And so I was like, yeah, easy. My wife's first generation Polish. Like that's her first language. I've been learning Polish since I met her. I was like, I got this. Holy shit. Um, 
So her and her boyfriend, yeah, they come to Nashville, (laughs) her and her boyfriend and her boyfriend's a, he's a linguist. Like people hire him to sing in French basically. And so he comes to town and I learned how to sing it phonetically. So if you were to read my paper of my lyrics, it would sound nothing like French or it would sound like French, but it would not read French, you know? And so I do it one pass kind of thing. And he's like, Oh my God, it's amazing. Amazing. You know, but then six hours later, here we are doing the doubles, doing the harmonies because he was the best, but he'd be like, Tyler, you know, you're saying, I'm actually, I'm going to pull up a little piece of this to play you a little something. He's like, Tyler, you're saying, um, you know, like, uh, Ooh, and I need you to say, Ooh, (laughs) it was like that for six hours. Um, but because of Scott's brilliant idea, as of a few days ago, this song is number seven, the most seventh most played song in pop in Quebec for Billboard radio charts. Um, as of a few days ago, number seven on pop. So it's like Harry Styles, Lady Gaga, Tyler Rich, and Marie May. Crazy. Um, but the thing is, and then a bunch of names we don't recognize because it's all in French. Um, but so we had to count measures, bars, beats to make sure that this was 52% French. But now that it just hit number seven, I'm terrified because this means that six so hours is easy. just sing it live. Yeah, six hours is easy. What happens when I only have three minutes, you know? Yeah. Uh, all right, hold on. Back in English. Yeah. So I love that. I love crazy. that. And that's Borchetta. That's the flipping genius of Scott Borchetta, right? Because he's playing honestly, he's playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers. Right? And that's why I always feel like I am nine moves behind him. And that's what's brilliant about it. Yeah, and, I, sure. and 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 it's and, and the fact that he's all in on you, I I will have to say because I'm going to wrap this up because I I, I want to get you back on your on time on time. But uh, first of all, speaking of Canada, writing a song up from a Canadian poet, a line from a Canadian poet, well done, well done, you know, uh, you know, uh, the leave her while, which is a brilliant song, uh, and uh, the uh, Jaron Johnston to me is. I, I've got five to ten people in my head of the funniest people in, in country music. He's on that list. And I don't think he's out of the top five. Right? That guy, every time I'm around him, it's that point where you just like, I never say anything. I don't want to say anything because I just I don't want just talk. Just say something. Just, you know. And I can't imagine since he's producing you and stuff, and you're funny as hell. I enjoy talking to you. I would love to watch you guys work. He, dude, he is a, he is absolutely hilarious. Um, we have so much fun, so much fun. We just were in the studio last week cutting three new songs, which is now only the second time we've actually been in the studio together. Um, he, uh, it's just a blast, man. And he brings in the coolest, coolest band guys, uh, the whole like studio musician team. Um, it's just a funny day. It's a good time. He's a great hang. Um, and he has such a cool vision for my sound and where we're headed. I was really excited. This was also Scott's idea was teaming me and Jaron up together because 
Jaron's a rock guy, you know, his music is very country rock and roll. Um, he is, uh, he's just rock through and through and, but he's written so many huge country hits for other people also, uh, and pop songs. And so Scott was like, I, I, I would love to hear what you guys are going to come up with. And it's the stuff we just did in the last three, we did trucks don't lie together. We did a little bit of you together, which I absolutely love the production and crushed it. We've even taken it somewhere different with these three new ones. And it's, um, it's so unique. It's not unique in like a Sam Hunt way with like sounds and like talking. So like he created his own thing. It's, it's weird and unique in its own way sonically of like, I don't know. You're just going to have to hear it. I, and it's all, I, like, there's no tracks. There's no anything. It's just, it's all a band. Every sound you hear is all created by keyboards and um, pianos and drums. And um, it's so cool. It's awesome. I, I listened to a little bit of you. I, I like it. Uh, the story behind the song, because I always I always think of the mythical people in the song, right? Never works. Never works. You can't solve an addiction by having a little bit more of what you're addicted to. Never works. <laughs> and, and trucks don't lie. I, isn't it funny how, I mean, because it is that vein of like, I got to get rid of this truck because I have so many memories. But I love the way you went with it because the new truck in her drive don't lie either. You know, I love that line. I thought that was... I thought that was brilliant. I'm like, okay, there's the twist that the others didn't have. The, that right there was what made the song. To me, that's the whole line. <laughs> the, the new one in her drive, yeah. <laughs> ain't lying either. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Yeah, we, uh, that was, you know, like the difference. I want to be, um, you know, difference between this real lot, very end room, and I want to be the difference. I try to have those little moments, whether it's a song I didn't write, you know, like the difference that was an outside, but, um, but I look for those moments in songs that make me go, wow, that was cool. And that was what Jaron said the day we walked in the studio together, the very first compliment he ever gave me, because we'd met at shows and carpets and award things and whatnot, but like never, um, never spent time like that. And I walked in the first day, he's like, dude, I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited about trucks. Don't lie. I love the twist at the end of the hook, that was the moment where I was like, oh, this is, this is huge. This is an incredible story. Um, what sucks is, so I wrote that song last June before New Truck by Dylan Scott, before 7500 OBO came out. And it, that was song was just fresh off our brains. Um, and that song was ready to come out since September. But because of those two other songs, even though my, those songs are about, I can't get rid of your memory. I need to sell this thing. Trucks Don't Lie is about being cheated on. And it's about, you know, it's um, it's 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 hard to say, oh, it's deeper than those other songs, but it is. I mean, it's a deeper... No, it know, is. I can say that. I played all three damn songs, you yeah. know, and the <laughs> other two, the other two are pretty superficial. I mean, I mean, McGraw does that with his video. He shows you, ah, oh, just my daughter, eh, you know, which is beautiful, but it's superficial. And the Dylan Trump thing, it, 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 Dylan Scott is, is that's a thing. That's what I loved about this song too. It's because there's the twist. There's the, you know, facts are facts and facts don't care about your feelings. Right. That's, that's what I loved about the song. As soon as I heard it, I went, yes, that is the grown up version right there. That's the version that speaks on so many different levels and is way more deeper, way more deeper, way more. There's so much more context to your song. It's just weird how anything like that, that crap happens all the time. 
where, you know, a, a couple of songs will just all come out and they'll have kind of similar things, but yours is way different. So good luck with that. I, it's amazing, man. <laughs> you spread that gospel, Gary. You spread that gospel. Spread I that. will. My friend, I could do this and I will try to get you back on as soon as you'll let me because I always love talking to you. I, I, I've been looking forward to this because when we do radio stuff and now we do streaming, we're not on radio, we do streaming. It's usually 15 minute interviews. And I was uh, telling uh, Julie, who I do the show with, I'm like, I can't wait. I can't wait to go an hour with Tyler. And she goes, wow, how will you ever shut up? And I'm like, shut up. I'm glad it worked out. I know we <laughs> talked about it on the air just really briefly that morning. And you said, I'd love to have it on the podcast. And I was like, absolutely. And then a few weeks later, the request came through. And like, when do you want to do this? I was like, oh, sweet, it's happening. Let's go. It's excited, man. You're the best, man. I'm, I'm so happy for you. Thank you. So good to catch up, man. I got to see you at the show. Yeah. Let's go. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a good one. Thanks for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe, download a few more episodes, and please leave a review. Reviews really help us get this out to more people like you. Also, we'd love to hear what your favorite part was. Be sure to join us on social media to engage in even more unexpected conversations. Until next time.